Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter. And this morning, we're going to consider, beginning with verse 42 and reading through verse 45 for the morning message. These are the words of Jesus, of course, and it's recorded that he said in verse 42, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. There is a tendency for each of us to not really deal with the logs in our own eyes, but we're very quick to spot a speck in a brother or sister's eye. I have an illustration of this from my own life. I was at a meeting probably a decade ago at a local church, and the meeting was made up of about 200 to 300 believers in Christ from all different parts of the body of Christ here in El Paso. An individual stood to give what would be considered the keynote address that evening, and the moment he began to get into his message, all of a sudden a phone began to ring. It rang a couple of times. I said, surely that person's going to turn that thing off. It rang and rang and rang and rang, and I became more disgusted at the rudeness demonstrated by the owner of the phone. Well, I soon forgot it. The evening accomplished its purpose, despite the interruption. And I didn't think about it, really, until the next week when I was attending prayer meeting in this room in our church. The time came for us to pray. I was with a group of people about midway down this section, and I got on my knees to pray. We had just begun to pray. Then a phone went off, and it was my phone. It was the Lord highlighting the fact that there is a big hypocrite in my heart many times when it comes to these matters. I was quick to judge and got a message that still resonates in my own heart. If you look back up at verse 37, notice what Jesus says. Do not judge, and actually the language of the New Testament would yield this interpretation, stop judging and you will not be judged. What by implication does that tell us? If I'm a judgmental person, I can be sure it's going to come back to me because I reap what I sow. Jesus goes on to say, stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. Do you like to be condemned? Well, it could be that your being condemned is related, like mine is at times, to refusal on my part to be merciful to people. And... You will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, ordinarily, and there is a proper use of this verse to talk about giving of money. But the context would suggest the giving of mercy. We need to be men and women, if we know Jesus, who recognize just how much mercy has been given to us. And consequently, when their time's time comes for us to go to someone who is caught in a trespass, we who are spiritual 
are to restore that brother or sister to a right relationship with the Lord. We don't have the power in of ourselves, in of in and of ourselves, but we do have the responsibility to go. But you have to be spiritual. You know what qualifies a man or a woman to be spiritual in this sense? I'm convinced from my study of the Word of God that it's a person who has been self-righteous and has been awakened to that fact and has been humbled by the Lord and is ready then to go and remove a speck from a brother's eyes. Why? Because that person has already removed the log in his or her own eye. That's important as we look at this section of scripture as we go forward in verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. That's just common sense, isn't it? A good tree, a healthy tree, will produce useful, healthy fruit. A bad tree will produce useless fruit. And by the way, the word which is translated bad here is actually a word which is a word which suggests uselessness. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man whose life is useful to the Lord. That's why we're here. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do, and that would be in eternity past. He prepared a plan for you and me to execute, which will be glory and honor to him, so we can be useful to him. Verse 44 says, For each tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. When you look at your own life, do you think it would be fair to say that you are a person who is a good tree, a useful person to the Lord? Or perhaps you lean in the direction of the person who is a bad tree, which produces useless fruit. Now, to the text, which really is the focal point of this morning message. Verse 45 says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Some of the translations, and I prefer this translation, of that last part of verse 45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's my way of thinking about this. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. It's true, isn't it? And the well is my heart. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, 23, Guard your heart for from it comes the wellsprings of life. We must be diligent in the guarding of our hearts. Now let's think about what Jesus says regarding the good person. Out of the good treasure of his or her heart brings forth what is good. This set me to thinking, pondering, meditating, asking the Lord, what does this good treasure mean? What is this good treasure? that the good person stores in his or her heart. The answer came to me from Psalm 119, verse 9. 
where the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? That would be true for a middle-aged man or an old man. does not matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of life. This applies to you. How can I keep my life pure? And then he answers his own question. By living according to your word. I have, catch this, treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I'm to treasure the word of God in my heart. If we were to go further in Psalm 119 to 160, the Bible says the sum of your word is truth. If we were able to gather up all the things recorded in the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what we would conclude is that is the sum of truth. God's word is truth. If we're storing his word in our heart, we're storing his word, treasuring his word in our heart, then we're going to be people whose hearts will overflow with that which is good, that which is useful to the Lord. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The opposite is true as it relates to a heart which treasures other things. As we read from James 3, I know that you caught what it says in various parts. But it says, if anyone is perfect in regard to controlling his or her tongue, that person is a perfect person. Now we know there's no perfect person. In this room, there's no perfect person. All of us are subject. Even the person who's the most spiritual person is subject to finding evil coming out of his or her mouth. Has that ever happened to you? I like what Paul Tripp says about this. He says, word problems are really not word problems. Word problems are heart problems. I had an illustration in my own life yesterday. I was not planning on teaching on this passage. Friday, I sensed that this is where the Lord wanted me to go this morning, and I was pretty excited about it. I was excited because the Lord has spoken to me through this verse this week, and I was trying to make adjustments, and I was thanking God for His grace because I know how often I fall short of that. And I was busy preparing. I was getting up to come to this place yesterday for a men's Bible study and then to complete the preparation for what I'm sharing with you now. And I had words with my wife. You know what I mean? Any of you have words with your wives or your husbands? And she did something I didn't want her to do. In fact, before she did it, I asked her, would you be sure that that door is shut because I don't want the dog to get out? And I realized that she didn't agree with my opinion about that. And I just kind of erupted on her. And out of that part of the treasure in my heart came evil. I'm not proud of it at all. But I thought, there you are, Mike, preparing a message on the tongue, and you serve as the best negative illustration you're going to give today. Well, thank God for his grace in our lives. But what we do know is the safeguard against such thing is having treasure in our hearts. 
Now, actually, we know the Bible says your word is truth. Jesus makes that statement in John 17, 17, and that's true. But we know Jesus is the word become flesh. And we know a parable which Jesus tells about a merchant who had spent his entire life seeking for that pearl of great price. And when he found it, he made sure it was properly covered. Then he went and sold everything which he had in order that he could purchase that. And of course, that was Jesus himself. So if we have Jesus in our lives, and then we have his word in our lives, then we have the right treasure in our lives so that through our hearts and out of our mouths come the right source of fruit. That would be good fruit. If you will now, shift gears and go to the book of Proverbs with me. We're going to look at several things in the book of Proverbs, beginning in chapter 18. I'd like to give a and challenge to you for the month of July. I would encourage you to begin on the 1st of July and supplement whatever reading you're doing now or replace what you're doing if you're doing the map journal and commit yourself to read the book of Proverbs in the month of July. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. There are 31 days in the month of July. It will be transformational. You will be treasuring the truth of God in your heart and you will be finding yourself making certain adjustments to the will of God in the word of God. There are many things which the book of Proverbs says about the tongue. I'm not going to be dealing with all those things. But before I go any further, Dr. Daniel McAllen, who is a medical doctor, who serves on the staff of the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic, warns and encourages us to watch our tongues. In fact, he says it would be wise for us to regularly stick our tongues out at ourselves in the mirror and look at it. You can tell so much if you know what to look for about your health based upon your tongue. The normal tongue, one which is healthy, is pink, and you'll see little white nodules. They call, they're called papilla on your tongue. That's a healthy tongue. If your tongue is strawberry red, that's not a good sign. It typically reflects a vitamin deficiency, B12, folic acid perhaps, and it could, if it's accompanied by fever, suggest some kind of illness like scarlet fever or Kawasaki disease. I don't know what that is, but it's a disease that is typically related to children but could be for adults too. But that's another thing. Has your tongue ever been black when you stuck it out at yourself in the mirror and looked at it? That happened to me once and it really scared me. I thought, whoa, this is awful. I thought I was turning into Gene Simmons for a moment. <laughs> no? I don't even like Kiss. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I was good to go when I learned that it's really not a big deal. It's just something which happens when you're not taking care of yourself as you ought to in some ways, but it's not life-threatening. And Dr. McAllen also said that he can tell when he looks into a patient's mouth if that person's properly hydrated, if that person is 
a user of a tobacco, either via smoking or chewing or dipping. He can tell that without asking the question, do you smoke? He said he can tell if there's an autoimmune deficiency, an illness in the body, just by looking at the tongue. If there are lesions there or firm places on the tongue, things like that, it's perhaps a precursor of something more serious maybe than a malignancy. He said your tongue tells a physician and can tell you a lot about your health. Well, the tongue tells us more about our spiritual health than any other part of the body. We're seeing in this verse in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Did it amaze you when we read from the third chapter of James at the simplicity of the illustration, yet the truth of the illustration? That how great a fire can be set in a forest, a big forest can be consumed by just a small spark. It only takes a spark to completely devastate an area. This brought to mind the great fire of Chicago in 1871. 3.3 acres of that city were burned to the ground. 300 people were killed by the fire. 100,000 were left homeless. There's really no conclusive evidence as to what started the fire. We know the legend, Mrs. O'Leary's cow, kicked over the lantern when she was milking the cow, and this fire just broke out and consumed that area, devastated it. But what we do know is the misuse of the tongue can carry widespread devastation, death, it can deal. But life is also in the power of the tongue. Let me begin on the positive side. The tongue can build up. There's nothing quite like a believer in Jesus Christ allowing Jesus to use his or her tongue to build somebody up. The Bible tells us in more than one place that we are to encourage one another. In Hebrews 3.13, the Bible says, the frequency which we are to encourage one another is daily. This should be part of our daily mentality and practice. We're to look for people whom we might encourage. The Bible says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you know the reason the Lord wants us to meet together, among other reasons. Certainly it's to worship Him. But also it's to encourage one another. We go our separate ways on Sunday and sometimes don't even see each other for the rest of the week. And we get beat up during the week. And we come back and we need to refocus on the Lord in worship. He is the central figure. It is He who deserves our full attention on Sunday, but all through the week. But sometimes we get off base, and part of it has to do with the way in which we are spoken to, the way in which we're treated, and we need encouragement. It's wonderful when the Lord uses another brother or sister in Christ to encourage us. Please turn to Proverbs 12. We're going to look at verse 25 of Proverbs 12. 
Proverbs 12, 25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. I have an encourager in my life. He is the best example of an encourager I've ever had in my life next to my mother and father. He doesn't live here. He lives in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. His name is Rob Clement. Rob is a deacon in the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He walks the walk, and he talks the talk. I cannot tell you how many times that I have received a call from Rob out of the blue. But it's always at a time of need in my life to be encouraged. That is a reflection of a person who takes seriously what the Word of God says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, verse 4, where the speaker says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may sustain the weary one with the Word. Morning by morning, he wakens me to listen like a disciple. Well, Rob undoubtedly wakens every morning to tune in to the Lord. He comes to the Word of God. God speaks to him. As he prays, the Lord puts people on his heart. I'm not the only one whom he encourages. I've never asked him who the others are. The list is probably too long to even give. He probably has forgotten all the people. He's that kind of man. But God uses him. Do you know he is a tool, his tongue particularly is a tool in the hand of the Lord because he awakens to listen. He opens the word of God. And God's spirit speaks to him. And he does what God has designed him to do. Now it takes no special ability on your part or my part to encourage other people. You might say, I can't talk in front of people. No problem. You can talk to people, but be the rare individual present in this room who does not talk to someone in the course of any given day. And many of us have interaction with many people every day. So we, if we know Jesus Christ, we want good things to come out of our mouths, don't we? And the way to do that is to treasure his word in our heart by spending time listening to him and the things he says to us which encourage us, we can be sure will encourage other people during the course of that day if we're alert to the possibility. That is your opportunity and that is my responsibility. God gives us this great encouragement and we are able to come to a person who is weighed down in his or her heart with anxiety and just one kind word one word of encouragement can change the course of an entire day and I would go so far to say there are occasions when one word fitly spoken can change the course of an entire life we never know but be sure that every encounter you have as a follower of Jesus Christ, everyone, you might say, you're getting a little extreme here, Mike. Well, I'll run the risk of being extreme then. Because every encounter I have has the potential for God using me to use the tongue which he's given me to draw upon the treasure that I've been building up in my heart to be used to encourage 
someone else and lift a burden in that person's life. Take a moment and look at verse 18 of chapter 12 of Proverbs. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Have you ever been healed by the words spoken to you or written to you by somebody else? Well, it's a joy, I must tell you, if you haven't had the experience. Let's turn now to Proverbs 16, 24, which further underscores the wise man's speech, which flows out of the wise man or woman's heart. Look at verse 23 and 24. Why don't we read those together? A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Do you like honey? Wow. I'm thinking about honey when I read that word. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. There is evidence, scientific evidence, that words of encouragement, confirmation, affirmation, actually lend themselves to better health physically. There's this link between the soul and the body. And so we have that capacity being in Christ to minister to people in this way. So life can come from our hearts through our mouths and the Lord can use our tongues to build people up, to encourage them. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 429, which was mentioned earlier in our worship service, the Bible says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The word translated unwholesome in Ephesians 4.29 is the identical word which Jesus uses in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, when he talks about bad fruit coming from bad trees. Remember what that word means? Useless is what it means. We learn what words in the New Testament mean by looking at the ways in which these words were used outside the New Testament at the same time. And that word which translated bad in Jesus' statement in Luke 6.43 and then used again by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.29, translated wholesome from the translations that are pretty widespread. That word was used outside the New Testament to describe rotting fish. Did you ever smell rotting fish? If you did, you might have gagged. You wanted to get away from them quickly. They stink, don't they? So what this would say is don't let any stinking words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Now here's an important phrase. According to their needs. That would require that I care enough about you to get to know you so that I'll have the right word to say to you to encourage you and build you up. Let me say that whole verse again. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's all about our being other-oriented because we're Christ-centered, because He's the treasure in our heart, and because we know all the Word of God bears testimony to Him. We treasure it and hide it in our heart so that we might share what other people need in the moment to build them up. Do you really care about other people? 
do I really care about other brothers and sisters in Christ? Then I will be on the lookout for what the Lord will say to me tomorrow when I get up. And then for people whom I encounter, or who haven't, who have been encountered before that I need to contact, then I'll be able to share things with them that would help them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Please go to the 27th chapter of Proverbs, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The kisses of an enemy may be profuse, that means many, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And in 1717, the Bible says a friend loves at all times. So if we really love people, we will do what might on the surface of things look like it's anything but encouraging. But because we have invested in the lives of our friends, we have laid down our lives for our friends, we love our friends, we have their best interest at heart, and more importantly, we have the honor of God at heart, that there may become times when we go and we minister truth to them for their encouragement. It might be hard truth. Turn to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Proverbs 9, 8 and 9. The Bible says in Proverbs 9, 8, Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, he will love you. If you come to me and you rebuke me and I'm listening and I'm seeking to extract the kernel of truth from what, from what you're saying, I don't like to be rebuked. I don't like to be the rebuker, nor do I like to be rebuked. But sometimes being rebuked is necessary for my own personal growth and usefulness to the Lord. And if I'm a wise man, I'm going to receive that rebuke with love toward the person who rebuked me. That's what this says, isn't it? Verse 9 says, instruct a wise man, he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Well, there are many more things which could be said about building up, but we're to build people up. God's given us the word of God. He says, my word is like a hammer. A hammer can tear things down, but a hammer is best used to build things up. Death is also in the tongue. The opposite of building people up is putting them down, isn't it? Have you ever been put down? Sure you have. Is there any wound that is more difficult to receive than the wound of a tongue, there's nothing like it. A dear brother of mine in Christ years ago told me the story of when at the age of 10, he and his alcoholic father were fishing at a spillway in their state. And this little boy was delighting in the fact that he was having some time with his father. His father was already way past sober and his son, this friend of mine, 
did something that would be typical of a 10-year-old. I don't remember even what it was, but he did something, and it raised the, the ire of the father toward him. And he said, you imposile. Well, the boy didn't know what the word meant, but he knew it was not a nice way to be described, and it hurt him. When they got in the car after having finished fishing, they were working their way home, and he got up the courage to ask his father, Daddy, what does imposile mean? And his dad defined it for him. At the time he told me that story, he was probably in his mid-30s, it still stayed with him. He had forgiven his father. His father was dead. He'd forgiven his father. But it still was lodged in his mind. He's anything but imposilic. This man is highly intelligent, very accomplished in his life, a godly man. We are sarcastic to people. Some of us can slice and dice with the sharp edge of our tongues, and in a matter of seconds, we have cut those people to shreds. Have you ever used your tongue as an instrument of sarcasm? We slander people. It's amazing. There is a poem which I would like to read. It's a child's poem, but it's important for us to consider. Boys flying kites pull in their white-winged birds, but this you cannot do when you are flying words. Thoughts unexpressed may someday fall back dead, but God himself can't kill them once they are said. Maybe on more than one occasion you've said something that you know hurt people. You said, I didn't mean it. May I tell you every word I've ever said I meant? And the same is true for you. Every word we say we mean. We shouldn't have said words that put people down. That's for sure. But we do, don't we? And in so doing, death is in the power of our tongue. St. Francis of Assisi had been following the Lord for several decades and he had gathered a following, later be known as the Franciscan Order of Monks in the Catholic Church. On a certain day, he received a visit from one of his disciples, as it were, and this young man, when he found Francis, just collapsed in Francis' arms, weeping uncontrollably. And once he got hold of himself, he was able to answer St. Francis' question, what's wrong? And he said, Francis, I said something today about and to one of our brothers. And no sooner had it left my mouth that I knew that I had wounded him deeply. It was in his eyes, and I'm so brokenhearted that those evil words came from my mouth. What may I do about it? Well, Francis said, go into my room, fetch the pillow that's on my bed, bring it to me, and find a knife as you're making your way to me. Francis was outside where he was living. 
It was a particularly windy day. He said, give me a pillow. He took the knife and he ripped the pillow, which was a feathered pillow. And then he began to shake the pillow. And most of the feathers came out. And he turned to this brother and he said, now go and retrieve all those pillows and come back and repack my pillow. Well, the message was clear. There was no way. Be careful what you say because words have life. And when we don't even know that they sting people, wound people, pierce people, like the Proverbs that we have read today would indicate they do. Slander, gossip is another thing that some of us are familiar with. Have you ever gossiped before? Talked about people behind their backs, spoken unkindly. I'd like to give you full freedom from this point forward. If you ever hear me gossiping about somebody to say this to me. Why are you telling me about that? Have you gone and asked the person about it? Have you checked your facts out about this story? Would you like me to go with you to talk to this person about it? That would stop some gossip pretty quickly, wouldn't it? probably right some wrongs at the same time. Billy Graham was being interviewed by Dick Cavett decades ago, probably 40, 50 years ago, talk show host. And Mr. Cavett asked Billy Graham this question, what is a real Christian, Mr. Graham? And Billy Graham said this, a real Christian is someone who could give his pet parent to the neighborhood gossip. That's what a real Christian is. Wow. I don't know what Mr. Cavett's response was, but it was a, certainly a good response. So we can use our tongues to do one of two things. We can let them be givers of life by doing what? Building others up. Or they can be dealers of death by tearing people. We can use our tongues to give life by speaking truth. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Don't use the truth to beat people up. Even though we may have to confront people in their sin and they may think we're beating them up. But don't use it with a heart to prove your superiority over them because you're not doing what they're doing. I love what Alan Loy McGinnis says about this in his book, The Friendship Factor. He says, if you, the reader, enjoys confronting people in their sin, then you don't need to do it. But nevertheless, we're called to do that, aren't we? When we see people who are headed on a pathway that is self-destructive, if we don't stop them, we're not loving them. We're winking at their sin. And the book of Proverbs talks about that in the ninth chapter, about winking at sin. So we tell people the truth and encourage them with the truth, the truth of the gospel. Certainly the greatest use of the tongue 
to share Christ with people. Look at Proverbs 25, 25. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Man, I'm thirsty right now. Don't anybody go get water. We're about through. But I'm thirsty. I've been more thirsty than normal in the last couple of weeks. How about you? Nothing like a good cold drink of water when you're thirsty, is it? And like water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. We have good news. And it's from more than a distant land. It's from heaven. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here's the last comparison between the tongue being used for life or death. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, the Bible says, Bless those who curse you. Wow. When people curse you, what do you want to do normally? What's your normal reaction? Don't everybody speak at once, I tell you, but it's kind of like, I'll show you. I'll say something harsher than you said to me. That's our natural reaction. That's the flesh, isn't it? But when we are under the spell of the Holy Spirit, He's controlling our lives. Instead of cursing coming back, blessing comes. I don't need to say much about cursing here at all. Cursing someone. You don't have to use a curse word per se, although that's out of bounds. Evil things come out of our mouths. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about how there should be no immorality, no impurity, no greed, no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting come out of our mouths, only giving thanks. Well, that would really reduce the amount of communication, wouldn't it, in our world? Unbelievable. The world in which we live today. But when we bless people, may I give you a couple of ideas about this? We should bless them out of the treasure of our heart, right? May I give you a few suggestions? I'm going to give you three suggestions. These are just suggestions. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We could say, and be sure when you say things like this to people, it's not through clenched teeth. And it says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you may abound in hope. Now that's a great blessing, isn't it? And then the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Wow. Those are the words of God. Words from God are transformative. They change people's lives. Speaking in, spoken in the right spirit, they change people's hearts. Bless people who curse you. The book of James chapter 3 says that no one can tame the tongue. That's a bit discouraging, isn't it? But that's not altogether true. One of the good things about Scripture is we're to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. 
and we're to interpret James, in this case, in light of something that's taught in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. We can't tame or control our own tongues in our own power. But the good news is, because Jesus has taken up residence in our hearts if we know him, and the Holy Spirit has also taken up residence in our hearts, and by the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ's power, we can do all things that Christ gives us to do. In Romans 6, the Bible says, Stop letting sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The word instruments is the word weapons. That's what it really means most often. Don't present your tongue to sin as a weapon of unrighteousness. Stop it, is what the Bible says. Now, the Lord will never tell you and me to stop something without first giving us the power to do that. He has given us his spirit and the power to yield my tongue to the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that we must remember that we have been raised from the dead. We're to present our whole body to God. And the members of our body, let's just insert the word tongue. Remember, if we can control our tongues, then it's really not we who's controlling it. We give controlling influence to the Holy Spirit, and then he empowers our tongue. We're to present our tongue to God as a weapon of righteousness. It's not enough just to quit stuff. What's important is that we replace the things that are not healthy with that which is curative, the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. We need to trust the Lord for that. Would you join me in prayer? I would imagine the Lord has spoken to your heart like he has to mine through these passages that we've looked at today. And as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper, please understand that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember what the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions shall not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces sin, that person shall find mercy. The Lord's Supper is about the mercy of God. Would you want to say to the Lord right now, Lord, I have been one who has not given proper attention to the treasure that I've put in my heart. I confess to you the misuse of the tongue that you created to bless people rather than curse, to tell them the truth rather than to tell them lies, to build them up, not to tear them down. I'm guilty, Lord. You know, Lord. Please, Lord, help me to give up on trying to do things my own way. I want to give you control in my life in a fresh way. Thank you for empowering me, giving me the way 
by the Spirit of God to overcome such use of the tongue. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Our deacons are going to come and we're going to prepare to serve the Lord's Supper. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you are clear in your heart toward Him, you've confessed sin that you know is something that does not cut you off permanently but has served as a roadblock in your relationship to God, then probably you shouldn't partake of communion now. But if you have come before the Lord who is rich in grace and mercy and been honest about your need of His forgiveness, then we invite you to join us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Wait until everyone has been served and then we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. Jesus took the bread after giving thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me he then took the cup he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance 